Welcome to the Les Spellman Podcast, where we redefine how athletes develop speed by giving them the tools to play faster. Can you get faster in season? Like, literally, like playing games, take the World Cup, take uh, MLS, take NFL season, NBA. Can you, can you actually make athletes faster while they're still in season? It's super controversial. Um, don't know why it's controversial. I mean, it, it makes sense because we've been taught that as you're getting into games, you're getting fatigued, like speed will go down. Um, but this whole podcast today is about that. So before I start that, though, um, just want to give a shout out to my guy, Dusty. I'm here at Athletic Culture in Chula Vista, California. Um, one of my best friends, Jim's. I struck out today trying to get to a podcast studio. Um, it's a holiday week. Uh, couldn't find anywhere to actually film this this week. So pulled up. It's 11 p.m. here right now, believe it or not. And we're, we're in this hallway <laughs> with the cool background. So very grateful for Dusty to allow me to record this. Um, other thing I want to address is the tragedy that happened at University of Virginia uh, with Deshaun Perry, Lavelle Davis, and Devin Chandler. Um, just horrible. You know, I, I actually attended University of Virginia, and it, it hurt my heart. You know, as a dad, as a former UVA um, student, uh, as a black man, you know, it just really hurt my heart. So prayers out to the whole UVA community, uh, all my friends that are still at UVA, and working teachers, all those things, like coaches, uh, prayers for you guys. Um, but, yeah, let's let's talk about getting faster in season. Now, my opinion is that you can get faster, and I'll talk a little bit about why I think that, um, you know, both data-wise and, um, you know, some of the things that we've seen this year with some really, really, really smart people have helped us actually prove this to be true. But there's there's something that happens um, when we talk about things like this, and I feel like our industry is still in a place where we we go based around you know, what we were taught or what we saw or what our old coach told us. And a lot of things we just didn't question, you know, like, you know, just take, take, for example, um, you know, lifting, you know, lifting was something 20 years ago where you did off season. It was very simple lifts. It was kind of the same rep scheme. Um, you know, 20, 30 years ago was strength and conditioning was, was actually run from position coaches, like D line coaches ran, strength conditioning for football teams typically and, you know, those types of things where um, strength conditioning wasn't really a major focus the way that it is now with sports science and all those types of things. Um, if you look at the NFL back then, it, it, you know, the strength coach job wasn't like a coveted job. Where now it's like, okay, like we have strength conditioning coaches. They lift in season. Why do they lift in season? Well, they lift in season to prepare the body for the demands of the sport. And they're playing week to week and um, we're allowing them to maintain some type of stress, some type of ability to produce force into the ground and uh, stabilize and all those things while they're still playing. So speed is something where I think is a little bit further behind. Um, you know, it's still kind of like, it's still kind of thought of, you know, how our parents thought of it and in uh, some of the circles that we, that might be in charge, like, in terms of head coaches, general managers, owners. Um, and you take a sport like soccer, and it's actually even further behind because 
strength conditioning in soccer is actually something that is not widely accepted in, in, in lower levels and developmental levels. Obviously, every team in the World Cup has a strength conditioning coach. Every team in, in, in college soccer has a strength conditioning coach. But for high school soccer, it's not a part of the culture. For youth soccer, it's not a part of the culture, whereas American football, strength work is a part of the culture. And if you take speed outside of that, like speed is even further behind. Um, you know, soccer coaches think that players are uh, typically like born fast. And, you know, it's, there's players that are fast and you put them in certain positions and those guys excel. And then if you're not fast, you might end up, you know, working more on the conditioning side of things. But in terms of developing speed, this is a relatively new subject. It's a relatively new thing that um, has come about in the past couple of years. So then if you take that concept where it's now starting to be understood, like, okay, I can make players faster, um, but that's something you do in the off season. Um, it's not necessarily thought of as like, hey, like this is something we could do all year. And, you know, if we do it all year, we can reduce injuries. We can make players more robust. We can make them faster. We can make them decelerate, change directions better. You can continuously improve these qualities uh, throughout the year. Um, so if you take an example uh, with soccer, you know, they might have um, two games a week and one game a week. And typically the, the structure of the week is built around the game. The practices are built around the game. Um, and practices have themes. So there's technical, there's tactical, and there's physical. So technical is like, we talked about this in the last podcast, that's a skill set the players need to have. So in soccer, you look at dribbling, you look at shooting, you look at kicking, whatever it is. In football, you look, it might be uh, DB, uh, DB drills or wide receiver drills or D-line drills. Those are technical things. And you have tactical, that's more team-based. That's like, hey, in football, we're running this play. In soccer, we're running this pattern. And you have physical, which is like, what are the physical uh, attributes that are required from a game. This is what we talked about the entire last podcast. So it, it, is it aerobic-based drill? Is it anaerobic-based drill? Does it have high acceleration, high deceleration, change of directions, right? These drills have to have these qualities, right? But what we don't focus on in a lot of these drills is high-speed exposures and giving athletes opportunities to reach high-speed exposures. So um, in football, I've, I've been to a lot of high school practices and, and coaches tell me, hey, Les, uh, we don't need to do speed because we run fast in practice and we run fast in games. And truth is, if I were to put GPS on, and I've done this with a couple of teams, what they think is sprinting isn't necessarily sprinting. Um, now, it, you could quantify sprinting as like any effort over 70%, whatever you want to call it. But even if I were to, take a page out of Stu McMillan's book, there's a massive difference between even running 90% to 92% to 95% to 97%. Each incremental um, percentage that you go up above 90, there's a, there's a much different neuromuscular and central nervous system demand on the body. Um, so running at high, high, high speeds is something that is very specific and very, very, very difficult to actually attain. Um, so when we track practices, we're noticing they don't really get to those levels of high speeds, right? Um, unless there's an intent 
in designing a drill or designing a practice to reach those things. So that's, that's one thing. Another thing is that um, typically teams think um, conditioning and, uh, you know, running more is going to help them be more fit for, for the sport. Well, when we look at the sport, and we talked about this last week, we look at soccer, we look at football, we look at uh, lacrosse. These sports have high repeated power events. There's a lot of accelerations. There's a lot of decelerations. There's a lot of changes of direction. Uh, these are high-powered events, and these events that we call high-powered happen frequently, right? So it's not just one and then a five-minute break. Um, accelerations are happening once every couple seconds in soccer and maybe once a minute or once every 45 seconds in, in football and lacrosse, kind of same in soccer. So are we training to do those high-repeated power events? Because if we just go out and we do a blanket amount of volume of 10,000 yards, 12,000 yards, 15,000 yards, um, but that yardage doesn't cover the intensity, which we talked about, then we're actually going to look like we're not fit, right? So when we look at designing practice, we look at putting in speed and making players faster, and we talk intensity, um, we have to make sure that we have those repeated power events, right? Um, so... When we look at the consequence of this, the consequence of not putting in repeated power events, high-speed running, excel, decel, those types of things, is you will get slower throughout the season. You will decline in your ability to produce power repeatedly, your ability uh, to hit high speeds, your ability to maximally accelerate. And typically the strength coach is going to take the blame or someone's going to take the blame for the player's being a little bit slower, or a little bit tired in playoffs. No, no one's tired in playoffs. Um, it, it's that they haven't adapted. They haven't gone to the point of stressing the body enough to do repeated power events repeatedly throughout the season. Without, you know, if you take the if you take the game away and you just look at practice, you have to you have to do these types of things multiple times throughout the week. The game isn't enough. The game is not enough. It's one it's every once every seven days, and it's very hard to hit all the qualities. So we look at the game. The game is the highest, highest, highest intensity that most athletes will have throughout the week. But in terms of building qualities, it's a continuous process that takes multiple weeks to build. So that's a consequence. The other consequence is that uh, athletes get hurt. When, when they aren't able to, to run fast, when they're required to run fast, or aren't able to, to produce power when they're supposed to produce power, athletes will get hurt. Um, if they're required to run at 95% of their velocity and they haven't touched that in 14, 21 days, there's going to be some risk of hamstring pulls. There's going to be some risk of soft tissue injury. So going back to what I said is that right dosages at the right times and monitoring loads, I think we can get people faster, right? So let me let me dive into what I believe now. Okay, we know what it is. I got to get situated. <laughs> um, so my aha moment came working with two of the smartest coaches I've ever been around, Coach John Shaw and Coach Tyler Owens at University of Arizona. If you guys know anything about Arizona, they're rebuilding, and they're doing something special. Um, they went and they, you know, past two years before they got there, they did not have success. There was, you know, more than 
there's more than 15 losses in a row. It, it might have been more than that, but they, they, were, they weren't competing very well in the Pac-12. These guys came in and said, we want to make people faster. We want to develop players. And, you know, let's, let's find a way to do that. And they reached out to me and we put a plan together. We got started. So here's the first thing that we realized. We tracked everything that we did. We wear GPS every game. We wear GPS every practice. We, you know, that force plate, that everything that you can track, we're tracking, right? So what do we notice from practice and games? Is that players that could hit 90 to 95% of their max speeds continuously either got faster and maintained their max speed, but also players that could hit 90 to 95% throughout the week before the game actually ran faster in games. Right, so if I look at a sport like soccer, where you might have a game every seven days, you might have a game every three days, is if we're not getting that high speed exposure in the game or in practice, at least once every seven days, that speed is going to begin to decline. And when it declines, it's going to show up in an injury. It's going to show up in a poor performance. It's going to show up in a missed opportunity, right? It's going to show up in some type of game affecting event. Now, from working with the University of Arizona and doing this data, we noticed that 90 to 95% was really the metric that we looked at, right? What came from this is almost 40 new top speeds in season. So just to recap that, 40 new top speeds in season, right? So that's coming from games, it's coming from practices. Um, and obviously you have some extremely competent coaches, but what we're talking about is being able to hit 90 to 95% max speed within a practice or in a game once every seven days. That's the first thing, okay? Now, the next thing is actually a little bit more complicated. So let's say I'm touching on that. We call that high-speed exposure, very high-speed exposure, um, which is very neurologically demanding. It's very difficult. Sometimes it has to be artificial, but usually you can get it from practice. Um, that's very, very, very difficult, right? Now, the other side of it is if I run 20 miles per hour and I'm increasing my miles per hour, increasing my velocity, there's no guarantee that just increasing my velocity is going to improve how fast I get to that velocity, which we know is the acceleration equation. Um, and if you, if you are not sure what acceleration is, go back to speed, speed talks. Uh, and I have a ton of videos on what acceleration is and go deep dive on it. But essentially acceleration is how I reach my top speed. So how I reach my top speed is very dependent on how I apply forces to the ground. What we do early off season is typically a lot of heavy sleds, right? So we'll do a heavy sleds, we'll go down to medium, go down to light, and eventually we just run velocities. Now, just like lifting and heavy lifting, getting some type of lifting exposure in season, we need to have some type of resistive load in season as well. So what we did with, with University of Arizona was we did resisted loads that were specific to the athlete. So without going into the deep dive of how we did it and what went down and all that, is that we had a heavy exposure at least once every other week, right? So the heavy exposure, we use 1080 in this case, but it could be chains, it could be sleds, it could be a hill. Um, but this allowed the athletes continuously both improve their speed, their max speed, while also improving how they get to their max speed, their acceleration qualities. And if they can improve both sides of the coin, 
their overall speed is not only going to be faster, but they're going to reach that speed at the right times, right? So think like a running back. If a running back gets faster, but it, he got faster because he's able to run deeper into a run, doesn't really impact his ability to be a three-down back. He needs to be able to accelerate early to get open. And if you look at soccer, especially the, 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 the goal that just happened with U.S. soccer, um, you know, you see the athlete's ability to accelerate early in that first phase of the sprint that really creates that separation. And then obviously you're going to have to continue to accelerate late and hit the high velocity. But that ability, we need to touch on that quality while we're in season. And that's resisted running. So if I put those two things together, I have some type of resisted exposure. I have a practice that is really based around getting high speeds at least one day a week. Or if I can't hit that high speed, I go and supplement with the high speed run, right? Now I'm, I'm pretty much got the recipe to continue to get faster, right? So what most coaches say is like, okay, well, how much volume should I do? Like, and, and, and there really isn't like a direct answer, but I'm going to tell you what we did pretty much. Okay. So the first thing that we did was basically two to four resisted runs a week. That's it. Okay. How, how heavy and all that, just think heavy is heavy. If you have a band, it's heavy. If you have a sled, it's above 60% of your body mass. Um, don't need to go too, too deep into that. We have a ton of stuff on our courses about how to pick your sled loading and all that, but it's heavy. Or if it's a hill, it's, it's steeper, right? That's one thing. When would we do it? So usually three days out from a game is the best time. Two days out, it's a little close. One day out, not, I don't recommend. Um, if you're looking at soccer, U.S. soccer is playing like now, and then let's say they have a game in a couple of days, doing a resisted load, um, the day after a game, probably not the best. Two days after a game, probably perfect, as long as there's three days before the next game, right? So that's typically what we did there. Now, high-speed exposure, when's the best time for that? The best time for high-speed exposure was making sure there was usually like two to three days out from a game in very small dosages. So what we tracked was number of events above 95% speed. Typically, that was only like three times, max one to three times. Like it happened rarely. And if it did happen, it was only one time, two times, or three times. So you don't need a ton of volume of those. And I would say exposures above 95, 90%, which is the lower tier, um, three to five is typically fine, right? Now, minimal effective dosages, like if I'm like, hey, like you only need X, it would just be one. Just give me one sprint above 90%. Or one sprint above ninety-five percent. If you can continuously touch on those maximal ranges, athletes are going to continue to improve their speed even in season. So, give you practical advice on this one and make it really simple: is to improve your speed is touch on both sides of both sides of the speed equation, which is heavy resisted excels and fast sprints. And if you can do it in season, in practice, then you're going to continue to get these guys faster, faster, and faster. Um, we'll, we'll release this information about how much faster University of Arizona um, got, but we know um, right now 40 new top speeds and guys hitting 22 in games. Like, I don't know, you know if you know what 22 in games with 12 pounds of pads looks like, but it's rolling. It's rolling. So 
uh, we'll be able to release that. Now, where I think soccer can learn from this is that football has such a SNC background. Like, if they're synonymous, right? Um, as I said before, soccer, like I said before, is like those players sometimes are allergic to weight rooms. It's a little bit harder to adopt. But getting guys to get exposures, even at the developmental level, the high school level, the college level, um, get exposures of high-speed running in practice, you don't need a, a specialized speed program. You don't need a specialized speed coach. It does help. But in season, the coach is almost a speed coach, right? The coach can determine what the practice looks like and what the drills are what the context is and making sure the players get to that point where they can reach that, those speeds. Um, and if you don't know what 95% feels like athletes know they can feel it because they're going to take a break. <laughs> you're not going to run 95% and not take a break. Right. So if you get to that range, um, you know, you want to back off, you want to take your time. You want to make sure you're not, you're not doing 95% followed by another 95%. You take a break. And if you get that exposure, it's going to do wonders both for the neuro neurological system. It's going to do wonder for, wonders for the, being reactive, being fast. Um, and it translates. It, it, you know, if you take speed and sprinting, it's like you can almost say it's a weight room exercise just on the far velocity side of the continuum. Um, it's, not very, it's not very heavy. It's, not, it, it's extremely fast and reactive. It's tendon heavy, and it's, it's amazing to watch. So if you can get athletes into those ranges, you are – a top coach. You are getting athletes faster. Um, so one of the things that I obviously as a business person look at is like, okay, how do I get everybody in the world? This is my thoughts. Like, how do I get everybody in the world trying to get faster week to week all year? Because I don't like the fact that people get faster off season and then go to in season. Hey coach, I'll see you in six months. I hate that. I want people to compete in season. So what this future looks like and a little bit of foreshadowing for you guys. We got a really special thing coming up in the next couple of months where a new partnership that we're going to do is going to allow athletes really nationwide and eventually worldwide once we get the system together to compete week to week, both individually on their team. Um, it's going to be special. So something we've been working on for a long time. We've iterated a bunch of times, but it is next level and it's going to allow athletes to see where they rank age-wise, sport-wise, region-wise, um, and continuously just track their speed in practice, track their speed in games, track their speed in training sessions. It's going to change the game. So the reason why I'm doing this podcast is I want to give as much as I can out. And, you know, if you guys could ever do anything back, it's just like this, share it, tell, tell a friend, However you found this podcast, like, please share it. Please talk about it. Please spread the word. Um, and then, you know, when it's time to compete, let's compete. Coaches, you'll be a part of this. Compete. Athletes, you'll be a part of this. Make sure you compete. Um, but, yeah, we're going we're gonna to change the world, and we're going to bring people together because there's too much division. There's too much separation. There's too much, well, my philosophy is better. My philosophy is better. All right, well, prove it. <laughs> show me. Show me that. I want to see it. So we'll have that opportunity here in the next couple of months. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, we'll be doing this weekly. 
it's going to be amazing. Thank you for listening to the Less Bombing Podcast. If you could do me two massive favors. First, please rate the podcast and give it five stars if you enjoyed. If you didn't enjoy it, please still give me five stars. <laughs> Second, please share this podcast with another coach, an athlete, or a parent who wants to learn how speed is developed. Thanks again for listening and check out the podcast description to learn more.